This week's episode was brought to you by Darian and Joey H. Thank you, Darian and Joey H. With the support of listeners like you, the whole rabbit continues to grow into the big, fluffy podcast we always wanted to be. If you would like to support the show, please visit www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit, where your monthly donation of just $5 gets you access to all our extended episodes, a 5x5 vinyl sticker of our cover art, and access to our Discord server, where you can interact with us anytime, day or night, about the topics your family will disown you for. Special thanks to Day and Hecate Astra for providing the research and notes for this episode. On this show, we discuss Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, the ancient Aztec traditions it originated from, the Catholic attempts to integrate it, and the modern celebration which thrives today. We explore the esoteric aspects of the festival ceremonies and the intimate relationship between Mishkahotl, Quetzalcoatl, Lucifer, and Santa Muerte. There's even some discussion about John D, cholos, butterflies, and what it all has to do with horrors fornicating with lettuce. Thank you, and enjoy the show. <laughs> it's, it's true though. It is beautiful like a tamale. I'm not gonna argue that. I mean, tamales can taste some shit. You put them in your pocket and it works. That's the whole point of tamales. Oh, you give it a hard exterior and a soft interior. Yeah, dude. Your wealth is measured in tamales, more or less, I believe. Like a metaphysical sort of measurement. Like, you show up at the pearly gates and, like, do you have enough tamales to get in? And they're like, I don't make tamales, St. Peter. And St. Peter's like, well, you have friends and family that are Mexican, right? And he's like, no. Okay, then you don't have enough tamales to get in. And you go to hell. You go to hell to make tamales for the higher ranking members of the of the tree. Yeah, for Mikael needs tamale slaves from heck. <laughs> hey, Luigi. Huh? Hey, look, uh, I'm, I'm just asking you as you concerned, brother, half-brother, step-brother. I just want to know how you doing. I'm okay, Mario. Where did you come from? Never mind that, Luigi. All the way from Brooklyn. I just want to ask you, just just as a brotherly concern, a brotherly question, uh, did everybody, anybody ever show you how to come? Mario! No, Mario! No, Mario! Just like a meth head Mario and Luigi, or what? Poor Luigi. This is just the real New York Mario and Luigi. The real ones. You Luigi. want a job, Luigi? You want to make some money? a greasy creep that thinks about molesting his twink brother. Let me show you about how pipes work. <laughs> let me show you how the pipes work, Luigi. Luigi, let me, let me show you how to lay the pipes, Luigi. Let me show yeah, you how to yeah, lay them right like a, like a father did. There is no princess, Luigi. You've got terminal seven brain cancer. I don't Mario. even know what that is, but it's it's bad. Princess Daisy, Mario. I have to rescue her. Yes, that was that's a dead donker on the couch. She's been there for five days, Luigi. God, I fucking hate you. You take and you take and you take. And I'm only putting my neck out for you because you're my brother. Now put your hand inside my butt. Put your hand down my pants. All the, all the way go, to the elbow. Put on the yeah, pool a, record. Hey, there's a there's a super mushroom in there. Oh, no, Mario, no. Put on the stink face. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm Captain Lou Albano. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Whole Rabbit, where we do more than just dress up as Darnie Darko and rob little kids for candy while listening to Guido Boys. Nay, we cook up the most ambitious batch of 
boil verde tamales you've ever seen, spend seven weeks folding orange paper flowers, clean the entire house three times with fabuloso soap, and set out offerings of food, candy, and polka for our dead friends and family, who are easier to appreciate this way, because we are discussing Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, and the traditions of this beloved festival of Mexican origin. I'm your host, Hacking Rabbit, the rabbit of hacking who can't hack. I'm joined by Marisama, the fruity bread bomber. <laughs> it's a Halloween thing. Darth Ding is the bare naked man with a flamethrower. And not a can't sleep, a toss and turn, candlesticks in the dark, images of bodies being burned. The Guido boys. That's how you spell yeah. it. The Guido, no, the Guido boys. Fuck boys. you. The Ghetto Boys. Look, if you spell it Ghetto Boys, you'll never find the track. Yeah, it's ghetto. not the right ghetto. Spell it Ghetto Boys. It's Guido Boys. Get real. Malachor the Mariachi of Muerte. Probably a misuse of that verb or something. On my death altar, just leave a fucking bowl of weed. Yeah. And some alcohol. And some mushrooms. And some hookers. Heka sure. Astra, the skinny white lady herself. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Hey, you know, fucking nobody who watches this show actually knows whether I'm white or black or not. So You're I black. can also. Yeah, you Four black. walls just staring at it. I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger. He black. You say skillet instead. I hate skillet. All right, well, that's fine. You never say that shit to me again. Okay. I was profoundly embarrassed by the documentaries about Day of the Dead. European culture seems to be a bit clueless about the motifs in Day of the Dead and are either fixated by the tenuous metaphysical claims or just the hypnotic glamour of the various ritual indulgences. Quick to acknowledge its syncretic nature, but faster still to claim that it lacks any connection to Halloween. The entire situation seems to confuse and baffle. Outsiders, I don't know. I'm from Southern California and I have been in Canada for a month now and I deeply miss mexican culture i miss this i miss the smell of the cooking and the smell of the cooking in the documentaries it seems like the european people that came to like so you think the dead come back from the grave is this really what you i think? say those brown people have a ghastly obsession with those skulls don't you think joe mm. so do you mean <laughs> your family actually like a zombie rises from the grave and comes to Party that really and play play for you from the grave with the guitar. Say, that's that's uh, that's quite an amount of gold you have on that burial crypt. You wouldn't happen to be on where any more could be found, would you? The present day of the dead, Dia de los Muertos, is a Mexican holiday celebrated on the first and second of November. Although many South American countries hold similar ceremonies on and around this time, Day of the Dead usually refers to the Mexican variation. Dia De los Muertos, Day of the Dead, is simply rooted in a mixture of the Aztec ritual festivals dedicated to the goddess Mita Casiwato, combined with the European Catholic traditions of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. So it's like, never mind. I was going to compare it to Halloween immediately. <laughs> no, it is exactly like Halloween, and that's why I'm all butthurt. Because there was... Okay. An indigenous culture that had like the thinning of the worlds and an honoring of the ancestral dead. And then just like Halloween, you know, the church comes in and is like, hey, uh, we got holidays uh, that are better than yours. And they're sort of similar. So you can still like do kind of the same thing. But now you're Catholic now, right? You're Catholic now. You do this thing, but it's a little more Catholic-y. 
right? Like the like there's a lot of traditions that were imposed on like the Celtic faith that were imposed here on the Aztec faith. And they're very similar. So, you know, you can still go to your ancestors' graves and leave offerings and have a little party. You just got to remember to self-flagellate and stare at the little boys while you do it. Yep. There's, a, there's like a lot of cultures that have the idea of the thinning of the veil. Like it, it's not specific to one or another. Like, And a lot of our Halloween practices are even based in those same ideas of the thinning of the veil, like children dressing up in costumes, in spooky costumes, like that's pretty much the same. Well, they would go specifically historically, like for Halloween, they would go door to door and ask for sweets in exchange for prayers that they could make for uh, the loved one, the uh, the host's dead loved ones. Absolutely. And this is the same thing here in Mexico as it was over there in like, what, Ireland, Scotland. Yeah, because it's a celebration. So it's kind of like, you know, give me a treat or, you know, we're going to fuck you up. We're going to do something to you, right? Like that's exactly. Yeah, you have so to give offerings like, to the ancestral dead. Or bad things may happen or just good things might not happen. I guess it's just like kind of a reflection of like that balance that you need to have. You need to have a connection with the spirit world. And like this is part of a tradition. Uh, and it goes farther back than the Catholic invasion. It has strong power like it does all across the globe. That's cool about the culture. Well, I imagine it's particularly important uh, to give offerings to the dead in this culture, just considering how resilient their death gods have been. We did a whole episode about Santa Muerte, and they're a lot more upfront about death in their culture. They don't really put it into this uh, this neglected, dark back corner like we do. And I think that's both wise and beautiful, and I think we can gain more from that wisdom than just the pretty flowers that are used to symbolize that wisdom. I imagine when you're much more likely to die by rattlesnake, it's probably important to think about death a lot. I was on acid once, walking on a trail with a girl, and that's the only time I've seen a rattlesnake, and it was like, (sighs) it was like, I am going to fucking kill you right now. I was like, I am going to step back right now, and it did not strike. I was immediately reminded of Benjamin Franklin, who said that the rattlesnake was a good national animal because at least it warns you before it's going to kill you and when it does it really kills you that was big talk for revolutionary america yeah it was. we barely won well he didn't like the imperial eagle he thought the mexican idea of like the snake using the snake as a national symbol was a better idea isn't it a dead snake it's actually an it's... eagle and a dead snake yes on the mexican flag and i believe that's uh... when they decided to build uh this, their capital city. Tecnoticlan. Yes. And uh, something cool about that symbol, eagle and snake, just to go into some like Western occultism, it's uh, the eagle is like the highest kind of a being that flies and the consciousness of that is like up, right? And then the snake is the lowest and it crawls on its belly and it does snake-like things. It's the complete opposite of the eagle. But there's like a merging of the two magical ideas that also reflected in this holiday itself. I guess the living and the dead coming together, the high and the low merging. So this is this is like really repeated uh, occult concept too. Uh, you can see it in other religions. My typical favorite example is uh, there's a bunch of them in Norse mythology. Loki, who is both bound and unbound forever at the same time. There's the goddess Hell, who is dead and not dead, and she imprisons the souls of the dead. What's their big last battle? Ragnarok is always happening and always being prepared for. Basically, anything that exists is exactly on the precipice between these two things. And the city itself? 
Technotic land. I believe it's built over water. They, they're like man-made lands, uh, islands that this whole, like all of Mexico City's uh, built on. That's why when there's earthquakes over there, it's really, really bad. There's nothing underneath it. So it's a little bit like what you were saying, Dingus, how those worlds are connected. It reminds me of the Egyptian story of the Benban or the mound rising out of the waters of noon, which, at least in the tarot tradition, are related to the waters of death and the death card. And how things, everything dissolves in death at some point. But then new life arises out of that somehow. I definitely see how that could be related to the symbol of the flag itself. Yeah. And that's that's a cool little tangent, I guess, you know, if anybody's wondering about that. I think that's why the new government allows that to be the symbol. But it also, like, led the natives to their, you know, promised land, so to speak. I also and- think it's kind of poetic in a bad way because... In a bad way, specifically, because their cult, their uh, their government has always been a little bit predatory. And by a little bit, I mean like they would go from house to house and just conscript children into the army by force, like the Jedi or the Spartans or child soldiers. I guess specifically speaking about Dia de los Muertos, this is a like we said a holiday where we're celebrating the departed, and it's a night where the living and the dead could kind of have ritual. Uh, communion together have fun uh, joyful celebrations yeah. and it's not sad at all it's it's all it's all fun and party mode and drinking and stuff and you know honoring but it's all the spirits yeah honoring the yeah. spirits though all in, in that you can find a ghost and pour straight everclear down their gaping neck hole while they uh hold their <laughs> head by the hair and laugh friends and family gathered to offer gifts to the dead often in forms of not only sugar skull candy alfiniquis and iconography of skulls calavera but flowers, specifically the Aztec marigold flowers, flor de muerto, flowers of the dead, and this is the symbolic origin behind the abundance of decorations bearing countless handmade orange flowers. Some of the other forms of gifts often include the favorite snacks, drinks, and tobacco products of the honored dead. Traditionally, polka was left, a fermented agave alcoholic beverage. Yeah, that's the things that that's uh, that's the thing that Spaniards came around and said, hey. We're going to boil this until it tastes worse and then it's stronger. And that's the that's how they made mezcal. Yeah, and if you listen to the rabbit episode that you did, you talked about polka and its origins and it's actually a symbol of like a bunch of rabbits drinking the agave. They are oh, drunk shit. as hell on the polka. And if you were a young person caught drinking polka, the punishment would be death. Nice. Kind of like how they stoned uh, unruly children to death in the Bible. Well, the idea they was they them? They were afraid that if young males who weren't wise enough partook of polka, they could become dangerous to women and children and take on a spiritual burden they were not ready for. So it used to be traditional to leave polka, but now it's also it's it's more common to leave whatever their favorite beverage was, the whatever the spirit's favorite beverage was. Rum and Coke. Or tequila. Yeah. Like yesterday, uh, one of my customers came by. And she was buying a bunch of beers and stuff. And she's like, don't worry, it's not for me. It's for my son. Then she was like, oh, what else can I get him? And she was like, oh, let me get some of these papers. And I was just like, oh, these ones are on me. You know, and she's like, oh, thanks. You know, because she was because I, I know her from my old store and her son had passed away and I already knew it was up. And oh, uh, wow. yeah, so it's it's like that's what you do. You, you put stuff oh. there for them that they like. You know, you could be whatever they want. You put some video game there, some new video game like that's getting down, I guess. <laughs> I saw a mention of thickened masa drinks and I have no idea what that means. Oh, the atole. It's and masa is is corn. It means corn, like uh, ground up. So it's to a, make. To... Is it alcoholic? No. It's just a thick corn drink. 
Yeah, atole is uh, just made out of corn. Yeah, kind of like Coke. Yeah, there's chocolate atole and it's champurado. Is, so atole is the same as masa? Uh, masa is corn. It's like ground up corn. Oh. It, it's what oh. you make tamales out of. It's just like a dough. You can make it into a dough eventually. I believe, quote unquote, Mexican hot chocolate has masa Ch- in it. Yeah, champurado. So atole is the base of it. And then you add Mexican chocolate and heat it up and it turns into champurado. That's the bomb shit. Corn drink. So it's like a thick corn chocolate drink? It's the bomb. Oh my God. It's the bomb.com. I've got to like send you some in the mail or something. (laughs) I've never even conceived of a corn drink before. That only makes me, because I'm white as the driven snow, that just makes me think of like (laughs) that fucking, that fucking syrup that comes in canned corn. And it just makes me think of a bunch of people sipping out of tin cans. I think if I was a spirit, I'd be pretty stoked for someone to leave me some uh, some corn hot chocolate. Oh, fuck a, yeah, dude. Oh, fuck yeah. They the brought the corn. It's frothy. Seriously. It's frothy and it's sweet. It's warm and it's like, I'm dead. I'm probably cold. And it's like, I can't wait for the fucking day of the dead. I'm going to get some fucking champurado. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that a universal frothy. belief about dead ancestors is that they're thirsty and they don't get to drink or eat unless you give them food. I think that was in the Bardotho doll even. Huh. Yes. Yeah, it uh, is. It's explicitly stated. That's why you leave the stuff at the altar. Like if you want to, you know, have contact with them or something that they like so that they're attracted. And it's like it takes a lot of energy to come from the underworld. This it is also like a common theme in a lot of cultures, leaving food and drink offerings for the dead. Yeah. And a lot of Mexicans, you know, who are like, you know, diehard, like we've got to keep our culture alive. They don't like to associate it with other stuff. But it's like, come on, guys, like there's too much underlying symbolism to ignore it. It's also I, I think it just says something interesting about the uh, the importance of intent, because the food has to be intentionally set out for a specific person in order for them to eat it. Yeah. They can't just pick it up because right. it has to be for food. them, like even maybe have their picture next to it. But we'll talk about the construction of the ofrenda in the extended show. Give me your right. money. The spirits consume the essence of the food, much like myself, who consumes the essence of the food. I don't eat food for its nutritional value. I purely eat it for its spiritual essence value, like a true hungry ghost that I am. If I had a dead wife, could I come on her grave? Would that be a good one? Yeah, <laughs> totally, dude. That might be That's going a bit heavy. Silent Hill too. <laughs> Like have maybe to get at that super early, like before the kids started showing up at the graveyard, go out at four o'clock. You just but pitch you... a weird little tent with your robe that you have and just obscure yourself really well. No one would know. Then you'd be that fucking weirdo, like hunched over a rock, grunting and sweating for like however long it takes. I guess. I mean, depends how long it takes you to rub one out. And if it's like if you're weirded out by it, it could take a long time. But if you, if this makes you like really hot. It could happen almost instantly. It's hard to know. For you, my love. Like, dude, dude like he's really never had before. a weird sexual experience before, and then next he's in a graveyard, and he's just like, oh, that was awesome. I want to do this again. I don't know. And you can hear more about it in the extended episode. But probably not, actually. Calaveras! No, just end it there. Yeah. It, it, thank you, everybody. Eat carrots, shoot lasers. <laughs> so, calaveras means skull, and calacas means skeleton. As such, calaveras can refer to any skull. So it could be like a skull made of candy. Most commonly, the skull figures used for Dia de los Muertos are made of cane sugar or clay. The skull was an important part of Aztec tradition, often used during the rituals and passed on as trophies during or after battles. For Dia de los Muertos, 
sugar schools are made and placed on altars. Traditional alfinki originates in Muslim Spain and was once used to treat cough. It was created using sugar, water, honey, and almond oil, stretched to form a viscous paste. Today, though, today, though, sugar skulls, calavera de azúcar, are entirely edible and made from powdered sugar, eggs, and lemon juice. Once dry, the calaveras are colorfully decorated with floral designs using vegetable-based dyes. Some of the more elaborate ones available now are not edible, as they sometimes contain beads and feathers and other decorative items that cannot be digested by humans. Nobody needs to be swallowing some damn beads. Or feathers. The way they are designed gives a smiling, cheerful look to them. The edible ones representing death and the sweetness of life are also eaten by both the young and the old. The sugar skulls are often used as offerings, in which case the name of the deceased is written across the forehead. Decorative clay calaveras are also made in the same fashion and used on altars. Smaller sugar skulls called, called calavarita are made for children who have died and are used during the Day of the Innocence on on November the 1st. So all those kids that they took from their families to fight for the Jedi ways, we honor them on the 1st before we honor the grown-ups. We paid their uh, military pensions and candy. Hey, come here. If you learn how to shoot this AK-47, we'll give you a gumball, kid. So I'm not sure if it was mentioned already, but the November 1st is the day for the children to come back. And then the following day on the 2nd is the day when the adults come back. So it's thought that the, the children return first. So that's the, the day of the innocence. It's like fucking Lord of the Flies, but with ghosts for a good six hours there. One of the flowers used for both of these days is the Mexican marigolds. Yeah, the Gampaso Chiles, the Flor de Muerto, symbolic of death and the fragility of life in the Aztec culture. Of course, before Colombian invaders came and ruined everything. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well. Uh, they have also been used for their medical properties, though, since ancient times as well. Because of their intense color and sweet smell, the marigold flower is thought to help guide the way of the return of the dead. The orange is bright and beautiful and often gives a uniquely joyous contrast to what might otherwise seem to be a sullen topic. This flower is significant in offering its beauty alongside the imagery of, of skulls and serves as a reminder of the celebration and inherent beauty in death. A large amount of paper marigolds and real marigolds are displayed on the altars as well as appearing in the designs of decorating skulls. The petals are often used to make a path from the graves to the homes. If so, it were an American holiday, the flowers would be made of plastic and they'd get stuck in fish's mouths when they hit the river. A lot of times, too, you'll see the flowers uh, used around the eyes of the skulls. Like, you'll see the petals around the eyes of the skulls. And I think that probably has roots in placing flowers on the eye sockets of the dead. So they can see, so they can find their way back home. And you're right, Dingus. I believe they are made of plastic. And you have to order the paper specifically from Mexico to get that amazing effect of the vibrant flowers. And they got to be like handmade. Wait, There's wait. no way to cheat it. It's really hard to cheat that effect. Sometimes they take like but, a long time making those paper flowers too. Like yeah. the whole family gets together and like they, they've got a fuck ton of paper and they're all sitting around making these paper flowers. Get to work! Guys, audience, if you're thinking about paying tribute to your dead ancestors anytime soon, get them a plastic flower because plastic is forever. Just like your love. <laughs> You're making a good case. I make a great case. I should have been a lawyer or a fucking uh, chiropractor. 
Not okay. really. I can fix your kidney if I twist you in the right direction. Check this shit out. So, like, the flowers are, are like, pretty uh, universally used for Day of the Dead. It's, like, a really common thing to see. As And one of the other things that's really common to see is called papel picado. I think I said that maybe horribly wrong. But those are, Definitely. like, the... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I apologize. But that's like the, the perforated paper designs that you see. And that's an integral part of Mexican culture as well. And it's um, an art that comes from the Aztec tradition of chiseling spirit figures onto wood. So these are intricately cut out paper banners that are used during the Day of the Dead celebrations. And because their banners are strung on the altars and in the streets as well. Papel Picados. Uh, I'm so sorry for the way I pronounce it. They represent air on the altar, but they're also another symbol of the fragility of life with the holes of like, so it has all these cut out holes in it. And those holes allow a way for the souls to travel through and visit. Papel Picado. One day I'm going to fall and hit my head and I'll wake up and the only words I'll ever be able to say ever again are Papel Picado. So like the those paper cutouts and the flowers as well, the marigolds, you find them on the on the altars, and the altars are also called well, they're they're called ofrendas. Ofrendas. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna butcher that every time I say it. Um, Ofrend. Oh, yeah. Anger the spirits. I'm so sorry. Those ofrendas are in homes or in the public. Uh, sometimes you'll find them by the graveside as well at the grave sites uh, and it's a custom that's not inspired by but similar to the practices found in a lot of other cultures these gifts and altars are placed to encourage the souls of the departed to visit so that they can see they are missed and still love um, sleeping near the grave of a relative is a regional practice in different parts of the country different attire and adornments to costume usually include themes of skulls, calavera, or skeletons, calaca. Attendees are also given gifts of sugar skulls and pan de muerto, the sweet egg bread that holds the skull and bone themes. So not unlike the Western tradition of Halloween, children often go door to door and ask passersby for gifts of sweets or money. That's like a pretty direct link to uh, to Halloween. Yeah, the Panda Muertos, like little bread babies. Bread babies. Yeah, they're well, little babies Americans in the pan. Have a little bit of a bread baby. Dead bread hanging babies. over their pants. Yeah, dead bread babies. Well, even in the Celtic and, and Anglican traditions, uh, when they would pay penance to like paupers or poor children in the streets to go to the graves for them and pay penance to the dead on All Saints Day. So it has to do with that as well, yeah, where totally. it's like trick or treat. You give yeah. the kids a treat and they would go to the graveyard for you so you didn't have and uh, face dark spirits or whatever would come in your way. And what if you d if they didn't give treats, you could go to the the graveyard and be like they didn't give me any treats you should haunt you can, them and curse them yeah you can curse them like you can tell you can tell their granny their dead granny you know oh so and so told me they'd pay me and they didn't and then the grandma will come curse the family and good on her and thank you mari for bringing this up because people when they talk about dia de los muertos are like it is not halloween it is separate well i mean yes True, because Halloween is over from across the ocean and in the greens of Scotland and Ireland, right? Where yeah. they had to propitiate the the Aoshi, which were seen as like their ancestors. The entrance to the underworld was in the West, just like Aztec culture. And then when the Spanish came, they're like, no, we have Catholicism instead. And that's a, that's how it's very similar. 
So instead of uh, Samhain being transformed, we have Ketoli, who is being transformed into All Saints Day here in South America by the Catholic Church. So Ketoli, which roughly translates to Precious Bright Feathers Festival, is likely where the modern Day of the Dead originated, a day of reverence on the 14th of the month of the Aztec calendar, which today falls on November 29th. Much like the modern Day of the Dead, though, altars were erected and offers of food, usually tamales, to help fallen warriors along their journey to the afterlife were given. It seems reasonable that no other food would provide a warrior as much strength as a good tamale. Imagine trying to do the same thing with a Lunchable. You wouldn't make it. I'm just saying, the Lunchable, it comes with like the little Oreo cookie and a Capri Sun, and man, that... That that could really get you going places on the I, battlefield. I yeah, think one gotta, one you, tamale warrior can take on an army of lunchable warriors. All right, motherfucker, you just haven't had the pleasure of dipping an Oreo, splitting it. You eat the cream on its own. You split the Oreo, and then you dip it in your enemy's blood and brains. You can still put tamales in your pocket. A lunchable, <laughs> you need like a backpack or a purse or a, a chihuahua to carry it on the back, <laughs> like. If you bring fucking tamales in your pocket, I hope you're probably eating that shit with a spoon straight out of the pocket. Out of the corn husk, bruh. Yeah, well, it's just, it's still going to turn into it... soup inside of the corn husk. You, you don't eat a tamale with a fork and a spoon. No. Okay, but you do after you've been fucking jostling it around in your pocket for a couple of hours. No, it's wrapped in a corn husk. It's wrapped you in turn corn that, husk. It turns into pudding inside of it. What the do, fuck do you know about tamales? Of, you're Canadian. I think, I think that's sort of how they are. They're sort of soft. And they're wrapped around something that is soupy. So they have to be in a corn husk. Otherwise, what you're saying would be absolutely a reality. But the I corn husk my... keeps it together, man. <laughs> I gave my uh, old Nepalese co-worker a tamale for Christmas one time. Ooh. And, you know, it was it was like a corn, like a vegetable one. And uh, he, he bit into it with the husk on. I'm like, no, man. No. <laughs> you take that thing off. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, this is my We didn't know. If we have a get together, like a whole rabbit kind of get together, then like we're bringing tamales in our pockets and we will test this. We'll see. Carrot tamales. All right, look, this is my final thing, like my final word on it. Have you ever gotten a fucking banana in your lunch when you were a kid? Yes. And you had to carry that shit to school with you, and banana is like the worst lunch food there is for this reason. Okay, but everything is not a tamale. It's baby Everything food tastes in a field. like bananas. Mari is correct. If you do not place the banana in a specific banana container, it will infect the rest of your lunch with banana We just banana have paper vibes. bag, asshole. A yeah, separate, a separate fucking paper bag is my point. Away from the other lunch items like your tater chips and sandwich. Otherwise, you'll have banana chips and banana sandwich. And you put it in your fucking backpack and it falls apart. Yes. I agree. Okay. I mean, this day of precious bright feathers exists to exalt the god Mishkahatl, cloud serpent, who is not only god of the hunt, but also takes on aspects of the god of war. Yeah, during the month of Ketoli, bathed slaves were sacrificed in honor of Mishkatol. And when the month ended, there was, quote, entering into the sand. Then those who were to die entered the sand. They took them in procession around the sacrificial stone. And that was the only bath they ever got. Well, it was like their last bath, right? (laughs) What's the name of that ceremony? That's the Chalakia ceremony. I think it's very interesting that Mishkehatl is son of the god Tezcalipoca, meaning the smoking mirror. The god most associated with the night sky, the earth, sorcery, rulers, and warriors, kind of a big deal, who is also said to have brought fire to mortals. 
like Prometheus. According to Aztec mythology, Tezcatlipoca was a vengeful god who could see and punish any evil behavior or action happening on the earth for these qualities. Aztec kings were considered Tezcatlipoca's representatives on earth at their election. They had to stand in front of the god's image and perform several ceremonies in order to legitimize their right to rule. In the codices of the Cospi, Luar, and Dresden, he is referred to as a spirit of darkness. In his human form, Tezcatlipoca is easily recognized in codex images by the black stripes painted on his face, depending on the aspect of the god that was represented, and by an obsidian mirror on his chest, through which he could see all human thoughts and actions. Tezcatlipoca is sometimes illustrated as the jaguar deity, which means heart of the mountain. Jaguars are the patron of sorcerers and closely associated with the moon, Jupiter, and Ursa Major. In some images, the smoking mirror replaces Tezcatlipoca's lower leg or foot. Tezcatlipoca is also often represented by the obsidian knife itself. I think it's very interesting that the god of kingship and war is associated with the moon and Jupiter. Much like the Roman god of war, Janus and Jaina are associated with the moon and Jupiter. And they're also associated with kingship and Diana, the goddess of the hunt. So there's a very close similarity here going on. There's also a link with the uh, the jaguars and the the whole thing about the patron of sorcerers. That's kind of the same thing in in Egypt, where you have the the jaguar skins on the sem priests as well. That's true. You have the jaguar priests that do the like the mummy rites. Yeah, they're the ones that are wearing the jaguar pelt uh, and are performing the rituals for the dead. They're the right, they're the sorcerers. Right. The pelt is symbolic of Osiris's victory over Set because Set turned into one of these cat things and was slayed by yeah, Horus and, and Ra. Smoking, and the smoking mirror thing, that's like, you know, this is the land from which John D got his mirror from. Yeah, totally. <laughs> They've recently like, you know, just kind of said it straight up. The obsidian mirror. Yeah. It's it's from Mexico or somewhere down there. John D was using an Aztec mirror in order to make Queen Elizabeth, King Arthur, yeah. the king of the whole world, and he was her 007, her intelligence agent and occult sorcerer that would ensure her victory over the rest of the earth and use this mirror to spy on enemy nations. So he was using it fucking correctly. Yeah, and he probably had some jaguar skin and was doing some Egyptian magic at the same time while doing all this. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that they would use that to spy on people, too, because if you think about the way big cats like leopards hunt, they mm. stalk their prey. They, they like to conserve energy and maybe chase you like a couple couple hundred feet. But that's about it. Very interesting. That that makes... your pattern. Yeah, they're sneaky. They do that by watching. You said that's makes a lot of sense. And really, it's kind of like they have a mouth full of knives. Once a year, a priest was chosen to be worshipped almost like a living embodiment of the god. Their four wives were chosen in advance as well as isolated and treated as goddesses. Shortly after the marriage and consummation, the priest would perform rites of singing, dancing, and feasting for a week before the final sacrifice took place. At, I, I'm reading it English. Fucking Tux Cattle's May celebration. Yeah, all right. Fucking Peggy Hill, bitch. <laughs> The young man and his entourage traveled to the Templo Mayor in Tenochtitlan. And as he walked up the stairs of the temple, he played music with four flutes that represented the world's direction. 
he would destroy the four flutes on his way up the stairs. When he reached the top, a group of priests carried out his sacrifice, presumably with an obsidian knife. As soon as this happened, a new boy was chosen for the following year. God damn. How do you think they chose him? Did they look for a pretty one? Yes. That's what the Catholics would do. Yeah. They would be very beautiful and fit and capable of representing that God on earth. And he would be a pure lamb with no blemishes. They probably told the natives, like, look, 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 you guys are doing a ritual, right? But you're doing it wrong. You got to get the little boys and be gay with them. That's how you talk to God. That's how you be like us. And they're probably like, okay. They won't go to God. They won't go to God unless they unless unless they swallow your cum. That's where the God comes from. You know, that's like a tragically common thing that priests will say to people they're abusing. What? Like, like you can, oh, well, they'll say you receive the uh, the salvation of Christ through my semen. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know what's like, funny? You, can, you don't even need to look far to see people saying that. That's wrong and gross. I don't even really need to qualify that. But. It does remind me of ancient Egypt where Set and Horus got into a contest. <laughs> yeah. He jizzed in some lettuce. <laughs> yeah, they, the contest was to get some semen in the other one. So, like, if Set could get his semen in, what, Osiris? Uh, it, it was uh, Horus. Horus. It, it was, was Horus. Horus. So, okay. like, Set tricked uh, Horus, and then, like, Horus was like, I'll get you back. And then Isis was like, here, take some lettuce and put your jizz in it. And Set loves lettuce. He it, loves it. Feed it to your uncle. And, yeah, so that that, that definitely happened in, in Egyptian mythology. <laughs> like, blocks it with his hand. And it doesn't get in, but then he like jerks off on the lettuce and Set eats it. And then when they stand before the judge, Set's like, I clearly won. I just did him. And then he's like, no, I sense the semen in you actually, Set. Did you eat some lettuce? And Set is like, fuck, I fucking love lettuce. Nah, bro. Nah, bro. You don't get it. I came in you. (laughs) It's like some frat boy shit. Yeah, it is. So all the other gods are just laughing. But bro, have you ever have you ever played Limp Biscuit? Let's play Limp Biscuit. This battle between Horus and Set is a little bit like the battle between Quetzalcoatl and Tezcalipoca. In one version of the Aztec account, the myth of the five sons, the first creation, the son of the earth, was ruled by Tezcalipoca. But destroyed by Quetzalcoatl when he struck down Tezcalipoca, who then transformed into a jaguar. Quetzalcoatl became the ruler of the subsequent creation, Son of Water. And Tezcalipoca destroyed the third creation, the Son of Wind, by striking down Quetzalcoatl. So they go back and forth a lot like Set and Horus. And interestingly, the Dark One, Tezcalipoca, gets turned into a fucking jaguar. Then... In the myth of Tezcalipoca, it is said that he changes himself into Mishkehotl, his son, the god of war and the hunt. And this occurs in the second year after the Great Flood at the end of the fourth aeon, when the sky crashed down upon the earth. Acting then as Mishkehotl, the divine one, proceeded to create fire by drilling with a stick into a fireboard. This was the first light, and the fifth sun had not yet been created. The myth is evidently at pain to point out a fundamental relationship between the supreme god Tezcalipoca and Mishkehotl. He gets a special name when he's in this aspect, which is Kamashti Mishkehotl. In fact, it is a perfect replica of the god of the dawn in both his trappings as depicted in the codices and in his mythology, which make him the father of Quetzalcoatl. So he becomes this dark father of this son of light 
Quetzalcoatl. So it's a little bit like Star Wars, too. You know, you were telling me that this story was going to be similar to the Egyptian story. And I was anticipating it to be similar, like it, it would involve like some weird cum shit. And because <laughs> it didn't, it took me a second to put two and two together. I'm just really fucking shocked that that's... Uh... Well, he drilled with a stick into a fireboard. Maybe that's symbolic of... No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because they they have this back and forth and they compete, you know, but I I don't know, man. I'm kind of I'm kind of in shock. Now, like the Egyptian deities, they sort of like swap and trade masks and stuff. Mishke Hotel shares many physical similarities with Tawis Kalpanekli, Lord of the Dawn, a god that represents the morning star Venus. His name comes from the word dawn and lord he becomes a stand-in for quetzalcoatl in the era of the fifth sun after he dies by sacrificing himself in a fire and the ashes become the stars his heart being venus presumably so when quetzalcoatl sacrifices himself for the greater good his everything becomes the stars he then becomes this lord of the dawn venus just wow lucifer man what the fuck yeah i guess he's having some sort of fall from grace here uh, quetzalcoatl right it's a lot like that story of the rabbit who sacrifices his body and then he ends up being in space or on the moon. Like his he his constellation is in this in the stars now because he sacrificed himself to like the Lord of the Universe. And this is a similar mythology in the East and the West and like South America. And this is a lot like that. He also becomes Venus, which is pretty amazing. But back to Mishkehotl, we know that Mishkehotl's dad is Tezcalipoca, the mirror god, right? Mishkehotl has a mom, too. It, what? It's Papa. <laughs> it's it's Papa Lotl. It sounds like a dad <laughs> for us Americans and English-speaking people. It's a Papa Lotl. That's Mishkehotl's mom. And it's a Papa Lotl. Her name means Claude Butterfly, which is the skeletal warrior goddess. And in folklore, bats are sometimes referred to as black butterflies. She is thought to also be one of the Titsimi, which are star demons that devour people during the solar eclipse. This is fucking trippy. An illustration from the 16th century shows a tribe devoted to her emerging from a cave with seven chambers. Maybe some sort of tie to the Sephiroth? Seven has a ton of meanings. Be Babylon. She's also known as a heart-devouring goddess. Tamawanchan, a paradise for victims of infant mortality, which is also attributed to the place where all humans are created in the first place. That's also a link to Egypt with the the heart-devouring goddess. Like, yeah, a lot of hearts go. A lot of hearts were getting getting eaten at this time in human history. A lot more than today. Fucking. I also like how they just kind of toss the dead babies back in the soup. Waste not, want not. And the connection to ancient (laughs) Egypt and the eating of the heart. The beast Amit was an aspect of Tauret, who was a hippo protector goddess that watched over this journey through the underworld, I believe. There's a link here to Finding Nemo because Dory is a fucking hippo tang fish who is Nemo's dad's guardian. And the dad is trying to find Nemo, which means nobody. So he's trying to cross the abyss and move beyond his own limited ego to be reborn as a child which uh, his son represents as a symbol now i'm talking about pixar i'm sorry guys well pixar made a day of the dead movie it's kind of cool coco coco loco he plays the song and he finds out that his family wrote the song but the bad guy stole it and got really famous just like how disney did by basing the whole movie off of a family that's not going to get any fucking money for it (laughs) 
Fuck Disney. Hey, man, art is theft, man. This whole thing about the butterflies corresponds pretty neatly to the idea that the butterflies on the Day of the Innocents are the souls of the children returning. So the butterfly, the migration, each fall millions of monarch butterflies leave their summer breeding grounds northeastern U.S. and Canada, uh, and they travel upwards of 3,000 miles to reach overwintering grounds in southwestern Mexico. But unlike birds or wildebeest that also embark on epic migrations, these individual butterflies will never return. So this coincides with the beginning of the festival, so the Day of the Innocents. So the first butterflies that show up are thought to be the souls of the departed children. And then the butterflies that show up on the next days are the souls of the adults. They're a bunch of orange butterflies, like the orange paper. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they, they migrate through Southern California. It's beautiful. In Ventura, they've come through there a few times, and it's like the whole sky everything is full of butterflies it's almost scary and reminds you of the bible where it's like the locusts but they're really beautiful and from which also means that the concrete everywhere is covered in a thin bug paste no it's not oh, actually really that's disappointing i hoped it'd be like when the cicadas come out of the ground over um, here on your vehicle sure if you drive through them yeah but they're usually not on the ground and stuff yeah it's not ugly at all it's like a very beautiful thing that's happening you see like a thousand of them in a minute, every it's, minute. And they just come so out like, of nowhere. It's pretty magical. Like three days. <laughs> it's like, what the I'm fuck? I'm disappointed that anything can just be good and not have any shitty downside at all. I mean, no, you, know you can still get the slimy film on your windshield, dingus. No, it's still, you can, you can fuck up your car. <gasps> that would be a great excuse to use a flamethrower. Fuck you, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's like a federal crime. I think you'll get in federal trouble for that. Well, you know door. what? They can they'll have to get past me and my flamethrower. <laughs> You're like, fuck all the souls of these children. <laughs> can you imagine how fucked up a flamethrower would be in a prison? Sucking out all the oxygen out of the thin hallways. No, not even like... that. Just you can't you can't run away. Oh, you're walking down a hallway. Let me turn slightly to the left. Well, the air has nowhere to run ah! either. That's my, that, that's my flamethrower noise. <laughs> Listen, you could probably make a pretty spectacular mess with just an umbrella during this whole migration. But now I feel bad talking about this on the air. I hope nobody fucking does that. Yeah, Thanks, I hope Dingus. it didn't burn up anybody's dad's soul. Oops. Or somebody an innocent soul. This is so dark, Dingus. Don't hurt the bubberflies. Grave of the fireflies. Oh, God, don't make me cry. Which brings us to the Lords of Mictlan, which is the Aztec underworld, where we have Mictlan Tecuti and Mictecasiwato, an Aztec religion that Teotl of death was a distinction held by Mictecasiwato and Mictlan Tecuti. Now, the Husbando name means Lord of Mictlan and the Nahatl word for the underworld. His queen, Miktakasiwatl, means Lady of the Dead, and she was said to preside over the bounds of the ancestors and led the month-long festival devoted to Miklan and the honored dead. So, a bit like Day of the Dead, but the day is a month. It was said to be her metaphysical force that changed the seasons, kind of a big deal, and the bones of the dead in the cold earth were as children waiting to be reborn into the next world, which opened when the last living member of the race died. Upon dying, a person was believed to travel to the land of the dead. Only after getting through the nine challenging levels, a journey of several years, could the person's soul finally reach Miklan, the final resting place. In Nahawa rituals honoring the dead was traditionally held in August, where family members provided food, water, and tools to aid the deceased in this difficult journey. Miktikasi's Watzel's mouth is gaping wide or 
missing its bottom jaw, a lot like Santa Muerte is often depicted, for swallowing the sun each evening upon its setting and the stars upon the sun's rising. Some of that... my sources suggest that Aztec culture did not consider the rising of the sun each day a done deal and without proper propitiation, Mishikati Watso could just turn the lights off forever. That does make me wonder if, like, in these, uh, if you belong to one of these cultures with a specific afterlife or underworld, if engaging with their egregores or if their practices kind of opens up a path in the bardo like an alternative place to go that isn't just another body oh you know that makes some sense i mean well intuitively God it finds and swallows you like you die and go into a womb which feels true somehow if we consider the bardos you know you, you your ultimate journey is to be in a good reincarnation with a new family so i guess if you consider the last person being like your personalities or your things that you need to integrate once the last one dies then you can be reborn in a human being with a you know that has titties and stuff yeah, but the whole point is that you, you're you in the afterlife so you can come back on the Day of the Dead. If you're not in the afterlife, then you can't come back. I guess on the Day of the Dead, you have a chance to visit the current living people before they have a chance to die. And then once they're all dead, you can be reborn is the idea. But if you are forgotten, then you disappear too in that period. That's what it sounds like. Kaiser still burns in hell. Yeah. Imagine being a, a fucking world famous conqueror uh, known throughout all of history. But because of that, you can't leave hell until people forget who you are. I think because you just said that out loud, that's how it works now. Thanks, Dingus. You're welcome. The whole journey through Miklan, I think I probably butchered that. Um, nope, that's good. That, that's very similar to the journey of the underworld in Egypt as well. So the journey from the first level to the ninth is, it takes four years. and it's, Four years? <laughs> it's really difficult. It's like fucking high school, man. And, and Four years of demons. Very similar to uh, in Egyptian mythology, the dead are aided by the psychopomp Zolotl. So that's the uh, dog-headed, uh, I believe. Cholo. It's pronounced Cholo. Origin of the word, yeah. It comes from Cholo. Yeah, so... okay, no I'm That's really, badass. <laughs> I'm really sorry I butchered that. So Cholo is the, the dog-headed god of fire and lightning who's commonly depicted as, like, kind of similar to Anubis, Anubis, but the dog head, and he's the guide for the dead, the soul guide for the dead. So the, the dead have to pass many challenges, such as crossing the mountain range where the mountains crash into each other. There's a, a field with wind that blows, flesh-scraping knives, a river of blood uh, with fearsome jaguars that sounds pretty familiar to me as well. You're going to get scorched by fire, too. I managed to leave that out, but that's pretty much exactly like Jacob's Ladder and the Bardos. Just to make sure you're worthy, they poke your genitals with jaguar teeth. <laughs> ah! so, so no! Cholo in Aztec mythology was also a god of twins, um, monsters, misfortune, sickness, and deformities. Uh, his job was to protect the sun from the dangers of the underworld. As a double of Quetzalcoatl, he carries his conch like A wind jewel! Yeah. Yeah, we won't pronounce that. Let's go <laughs> ahead. So Cholo accompanies Quetzalcoatl to Miklan, the land of the dead, like a good dog, or the underworld, to retrieve the bones from those who inhabited the previous world to create a new life for the present world. So the present world is called uh, Nahui Olin? Yeah, and in a sense, this recreation of life is reenacted every night when Cholo guides his son through the underworld. Guides the son, right? Not his son? just The son. Well, it's, yeah. he's, he's in charge. Of, like He's got to do it. And in the same way, Set has to like slay Apep each night. It's like his job to protect Osiris. If you think of Set as a bit like a dog, although it's kind of curious what Set actually is. You know, there's some, he's a rabbit. 
there's it's up for uh anyway. So Tolo rules over the day of Olin movement and over the Trenka of the Vulture, which is a word I care not to butcher. His two spirit animal forms are the Zolo Isquintli, a dog, and the water salamander species known as the Oxalotl. Is anyone familiar with the Oxalotl? Those are really, really cool amphibians. Like they have like these crazy, they look like uh it kind of remind me of the um, what are the Dilophosauruses from Jurassic Park where they had like those crazy fans that come out on the sides of their head. They're almost like a salamander with fingers on their neck. Yeah, and they oh, look it's... really cute actually. Uh, for... Fun fact, uh they have axolotls in Minecraft now. Are those those like immortal? They don't die or some shit? I don't you know. You think they're those... biologically immortal? Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but that I mean, they could be. Uh, they have like they have regenerative abilities. I know that. Yeah, they they can't really die from like natural causes. I heard you like mudkips. Is, is that a mud? Yeah, I like fucking mudkip. hate mudkip. I really do. He's one of my least favorite starters. Uh, like Trico from that generation was okay, but you know the only way to go is fucking Blaziken. There weren't even any good fire types that generation, so you have to go Blaziken. I mean, if you're a gentleman, you should carry around like a girl toy, like a pony, and rub it against your face. So there's a bunch of cholos in the in the afterlife, I guess. At a yeah. Well, they serve as companions to the Aztecs and also in the afterlife. If I'm correct, the Chihuahua was bred to keep the royalty warm at night. And they usually bond to like one person more than everyone else. I think Cholo is also a breed of dog. that, And they kind of look yeah. similar to like the like the real thin and short haired. And they kind of look like uh, the Egyptian depiction of, of jackals as well. Yeah. Are you talking about that dog with no hair? They call yeah. that yes. one the Cholo Squintly, and it's also spelled with yeah, an yeah, X. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, my God. You're right. Yeah, so the head of the Cholo is probably going to look like this guy. That's yeah. what I know they, the most useless said. shit. <laughs> yeah. So in Tenochtitlan, we can find the bodies of these dogs as they're an important part of Aztec burial rituals. So dogs are often subject to ritual sacrifice that could accompany their master on this voyage through McLaughlin to the underworld. Their main duty was to help their owners cross this deep river. It's possible that the dog sculptures also found in burials were also intended to help people on this journey. See St. Christopher, Hermanubis, Anubis, and Sirius. Edward Seller associates Cholo's portrayal of a dog as the belief that dogs accompany the souls of the dead to McLon. He finds further evidence of the association between Cholo, dog's death, and McLon, and the fact that Mesoamericans viewed twins as an unnatural monstrosity and consequently killed one or two twins shortly after their birth. Seller speculates that Cholo represents the murdered twin who dwells in darkness of McLon, while Quetzalcoatl the precious twin represents the surviving twin who dwells in the light of the sun. Dope! That's so cool! Did anyone see us? Uh, it's a little bit like that. It also reminds me of, like, the uh, the doppelganger. The do that, Yeah, that movie's about doppelgangers. I fucking... I, I, I only learned this today uh, for, for the spooky Halloween episode. Apparently, uh, a doppelganger is supposed to be the same soul occupying two different bodies. Apparently, running into your doppelganger is long considered... Very, very unlucky. Uh, Rona, who's been on the show before, claims to have run into a doppelganger and it he did not feel okay with it. Apparently, he walked past an exact twin of himself, which he knew. He didn't explain it as a twin. He said it was himself. And the other self, like, didn't quite notice and they both didn't quite notice each other, but they, like, glanced a little bit and then they both looked over their shoulder like, the fuck did I just see? And they both were like, what the fuck? And then, like, we're like, no. And they both noped out and walked away from each other. 
Oh, we would start <laughs> fighting. There can be only one. Well, the I other Rona was like, go. no, was like, no, this is bad too, and they both just like left it to be, left it lay. The same person reacting the same way. Yes. I would point and shriek like a body snatcher, and then yell, "It is your fault!" And begin <laughs> combat. There can be only one. And if you'd like to hear about how to create an ofrenda, please visit www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit, where for five bucks, I'll send you a sticker. They're a bit delayed right now, but if you are looking for one, it will come to you and I'll probably send bonus stickers. And you can get all the extended shows and access to our Discord server and talk to us about this weird stuff whenever you'd like. And we won't shame you for being into stuff that we talk about in the show, much like everybody else. Thank you, everybody. If you send me a DM, I'll tell you a joke. Eat carrots. Shoot lasers. Don't die as fast. That's a dumb way to die.